the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. All things have been made new. That's how the scriptures read and give us an insight into who we are as believers in Christ. But to be made new, we had to die first. And we're going to talk about that next here on Abounding Grace. Dying that we might live. That seems like an oxymoron, but it really is the truth, scripturally speaking. Dead and raised in Christ. That's the title of today's message here on Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. Welcome to our program. We're in chapter 6 of Romans, and the first 14 verses will command our attention today. Join us and be encouraged. Here's Pastor Gary with today's program. In great mercy, we have learned thus far in Romans that our God has reconciled us to himself through the blood and the righteousness of his Son. The Lord Jesus bore our condemnation on the cross. He carried away our curse, our guilt, and our penalty. And on the basis of his obedience alone, God holds us to be righteous. He counts us in the company of his righteous ones. And even though in Adam death once reigned in us, now in Christ righteousness reigns. Life reigns through him. So what do we say to these things? Well, what we say is, hallelujah. God be praised for his goodness to sinners. Lord, take my life and let it be consecrated unto thee. But there were some in those days, as there are in our days, who do not say this. Turn to chapter 3, verse 8. Some were saying things like this. And not rather, as we be slanderous reported, and as some affirm that we say, let us do evil that good may come, whose damnation is Jesus. Some in the church were using grace as a license as a permission slip for sin. Now turn to Jude verse 4. This is an early, early problem in the church. Those who twisted and perverted the grace of God in Christ and turned it into a lie. Jude 4. For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. What is lasciviousness? It is excess, aimless living, unbridled living. You see, even in those days, some people were saying, hey, I'm forgiven so I can live like I want to. I can sin with impunity. 
Paul's response back in Romans 3 verse 8 to those who pervert God's grace was the last four words there, whose damnation is just. We don't do evil so that we may, so that good may come. Hey, here we sin where sin abounded, grace abounded, so let's sin some more so we can have some more grace. No. Paul meets this issue head on. He's already set forth our justification in Christ's obedience, and his first concern is holiness. These peddlers of cheap grace must be silenced and exposed, or at least to be shown what they are, corruptors of the gospel. And it's a great thing that Paul did this, because unfortunately there are some in our day for whom grace and sonship have become very, a very dangerous mantra. Rather than being humbled by God's grace in Jesus Christ so that we all emphasize holiness as a fruit of our union with Christ, obedience is belittled in the church today. Duty is thought of as a nasty word, and it is even considered to be superfluous, unnecessary, because all is grace, grace, grace. And plus, when you talk about obedience, you're putting a wet blanket on my fun times in Jesus. So don't talk about obedience. Don't talk about duty. Just talk about grace. Now, that kind of philosophy agrees very nicely with our fleshly desires, and it provides a way for us to relieve the pressures that we all feel sometimes in our lives when we are confronted with God's Word. Duty is tough. We don't like to feel pigeonholed by God. And it seems to be the easy way, kind of like a pressure release valve. Let's just talk about grace and let's ignore duty but we can't go that way can we and here is the most interesting thing to me about these first 14 verses of Romans 6 if we go this way we not only deny the need and the reality of sanctification we deny justification so the gospel is at stake as Paul makes very clear here in how we view grace. Now, it seems an odd thing that to deny the believer's holiness, the need to pursue holiness in the fear of God, that to deny that is to deny justification. But that is Paul's argument in this section. Now, it is true our holiness and please do not misunderstand me on this. Any progress that I make in obeying God, the very thought that my holiness would make me, my standing before God more secure is laughable. On my best day, I am filthy if judged by myself. So there is no thought in these verses at all. Now that you are justified, make sure you're obedient so you keep yourself justified. It's not there. There's no thought in these verses. Now that you are justified, make sure you're obedient to really prove it, to secure it. 
That's not the argument in this passage of Scripture. The argument is very simply, this holiness is the fruit of our justification. Holiness of life is the fruit of our union with the Lord Jesus and the way we enjoy communion and fellowship with him. So if we deny our duty as Christians to walk in newness of life, what we actually do is rip Jesus Christ in half. It is to receive God's grace in vain. We see that in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1. Because why? Well, we'll see as we go over these verses the next two or three <laughs> Lord's Days. But we are one, unified with Jesus, both in his death and in his resurrection. You have to take the two together. We are unified with him in both places. We draw from him righteousness by which we are able to stand before God, forgiven and right. And we also draw from him the same fountain, the same person, the same mediator, power unto holiness of life. So when we hear of abounding grace, chapter 5, verse 20, grace abounds in Jesus, two thoughts should grip us. One, that our, God has, that our God has done for us what we cannot do. He has made us righteous before the holy God. So praise Him. Praise Him with your life. Praise Him with your work. Praise Him with your family. Praise Him in the congregation. Praise Him with symbols. Praise Him with clapping. Praise Him. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord, for he has done for wretched sinners what we cannot do. He has made us right before the holy God. Second, another thought needs to immediately grip us because we don't worship half a Jesus. We don't believe in half a Christ. The second thought is this, a subsequent life of sin Loose views of obedience and godliness, these things deny the finished work of the Lord Jesus. Because salvation is not only from the curse of sin, in other words, I don't have to go to hell, I'm reconciled with God. Salvation is also freedom from the power of sin. One day it will be from its very presence, but in this life, I would include salvation and deliverance from sin's power. So where the grace of the gospel is understood, even in reform circles, there is a lot of being tossed to and fro about this issue that we need to hear more about grace. I don't want to hear about duty. Understand, though, where the grace of the gospel is clearly understood, there will be a corresponding joyful emphasis upon living a holy life, for we draw both from the Lord Jesus. So if we say, as many have said, well, I want to hear about God's love, but I don't want to hear about God's law or his commandments, understand what that is. It is to tear Christ asunder. It is to separate unlawfully what God has bound eternally together. For our Savior on the cross not only obtained our pardon, 
but he also secured the newness of life by his resurrection for us. And there is something very comforting right here, right at the beginning here. When we feel in ourselves great weakness, which we will, and, and struggle with sin, what do we do about that? Well, I need to run, run away so I don't feel guilty anymore, right? Wrong answer. Why does God bring guilt into our lives? Because we are guilty. Surprise, surprise. Why does God make Gary Wagner feel guilty about his sins in his life? Because I'm guilty. Because I need to repent. Because what? I need to try in my own effort? No. Wait a minute. I, I, I need to do enough good stuff now and that will make up for the bad stuff and I'll feel better? So that I'll pursue some kind of path of frustrating piety and just morbidly looking at myself? No. Why does God make me feel guilty? So I'll go back to Christ. So I'll go back to the fountainhead of grace, not only for cleansing, but to draw from those lovely waters, those clear flowing waters from the cross. Grace unto holiness of life. Paul says, not only in verse 1 of chapter 6, what shall we say then? But he asks a second question. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Now the idea here, of course, is very simple. For the believer, there can be no contentedness. For to continue in sin is to live habitually the life of the sinner. My mind, my will, my affections dominated by the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. That cannot be true in the believer. Now, that doesn't mean we won't struggle, but struggle is a sign of life to the believer. We won't continue in sin. Why is this? 1 John three eighteen. I believe that will help us understand. It says, we know that, whosoever is born of God sinneth not. But he who is begotten of God keepeth himself, and that wicked one toucheth him not. Sinneth not? It means the same thing Paul says in our text. No continuance in sin as a way of life. The believers won't say, yeah, no, I am a sinner. I'm just going to give in to it. That's the way I will live my life. It is impossible for the believer to live like that. Why? Because God's grace has delivered us. We have been begotten of God, given a new nature and a new life. But some people, chapter 5, verse 20, where sin abounded, grace abounded all the more, have a formula. Hey, the more we sin, the more grace we will know. By the way, this bears a very interesting resemblance to the old bell worship where it is enter into the chaos, perverse sexuality, frenzy in order to find order and meaning. It also bears a striking resemblance to a lot of today's mystical antinomianism. I don't want the law, just let me follow my feelings. In fact, I have heard some young people today say, I'm going to go ahead and sin because I know God will forgive me. Plus, when I really give in to sin for a while... I get a chance to make up with God and 
Those times are really sweet. That is exactly the kind of madness that Paul was dealing with in the early church. And it is very evil because it blasphemes God's grace. Turn to Titus chapter 2 verse 11. In our day where grace is so confused with no duty, Jesus' fun time, no responsibility, just celebrate your sonship. Don't worry about feeling low when you sin. Don't worry about duty. Well, what is God's grace? Here it is. If you ever want to know, if you ever have any question as to who knows God's grace, ask, is this Really God's grace? Or is this just license? Is this just mysticism? Is this just six flags over Jesus? Or is this really the grace of God in the gospel? And we've got to have that grace. Because if God is not kindly to us, we are going to hell. So what does God's grace do? Titus 2.11 For the grace of God that bringeth salvation. Okay, this is the grace that brings salvation. Hath appeared to all men, teaching us that, denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous for good works. These things speak and exhort and rebuke. With all authority, let no man despise thee. This is what God's grace does. God's grace teaches us godly living. Being justified in Christ leads to holiness of life. We draw these only from the Lord Jesus. So back in Romans 6, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound or increase? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound or increase? Paul's answer to that is in Greek, meg anoito. God forgive, forbid, perish the thought. May it never be. This is one of the strongest negations he could have used in Greek. Let me explain it very simply. Now listen, because remember, without holiness, no man will see the Lord. So let's just stop and exposit that verse for just a second. Without holiness, no man will see the Lord. Think about that. Doesn't that undermine grace? No, beloved, it elevates grace. Doesn't it undermine the sufficiency of the cross? No, it elevates the efficacy of the cross because if we are drawn to the Lord Jesus Christ who hung between heaven and earth for our sins, we don't just draw from him a pardon certificate, a get-out-of-hell-free card. We also draw life from him, newness of life, strength unto holiness to resist sin. So without holiness, no man will see the Lord. Now, he doesn't say, unless you're perfect, you will not see the Lord. 
but he is emphasizing there the transforming power of Christ's work in our lives. The Father did not put his Son to such a gruesome death on the cross so that those for whom he died could then have permission to commit the very sins that slew him. The Father did not put his Son to such a gruesome penal death in order that we who profess to believe in him would then have a permission slip to sin the very thing that nailed him to the cross. Oh, my brothers and sisters, this is a perversion of grace. It is as the writer of Hebrews said, to crucify the Son of God afresh and to put him to an open shame. It is also evident that the individual, whether he be a famous preacher or whether he be a guy in the pew or whether it be me, if we treat God's grace with such contempt, it is either evidence that we have never tasted it because the grace of God teaches us this, to deny godly, ungodly lust and to live soberly and righteously and godly in this world, or either we have never tasted it or we have so lost biblical understanding of it and perverted it that it bears little resemblance to the true gospel. So that at the end of verse 2, Paul makes one of the most thrilling statements in the letter. What are the most shocking as he is thinking through this? What shall we then say? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound or increase? Let's sin more so we can get more grace. It's better to ask for forgiveness than to ask for permission. So let me just go ahead and live like I want. After all, I've got Jesus in my hip pocket. And then I'll have more grace, and, and then I can make up, and then I'll have a story to tell others. God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer in it, he says. Dead to sin. By the way, those three words, dead to sin, is the governing idea of the entire passage, the first 14 verses, dead to sin. Died. The verb here is an aorist, which is in the Greek, which in the Greek means definitive or once for all. The death is not conceived as something that keeps happening over and over again. It is a once for all in the past death that occurred. Believers cannot continue in sin for the reason that they are dead to it. You see? As John Calvin said, Jesus did not die on the cross so that we could nourish our vices, end quote. Jesus died to the power of sin, and in him we have died to the power of sin. When we believe the gospel, what Jesus did on the cross 2,000 years ago, it affects a slain in your life. The old man of sin its domination, its curse, its judgment hanging over its head. His death 2,000 years ago slays that old man of sin so that in a very real sense, we died to sin. Yes, obviously to its curse also, but also to its power because Christ died for our sins and he satisfied the demands of God's justice for those sins. Now listen, the effects of this death are just as real as the effects of our physical death. 
a dead man no longer lives, right? I, I don't go to a funeral and expect a dead man to get up out of his coffin. Well, it is the same thing. The one who has died to sin in Christ and has received a death blow is dead to the dominion of sin. And that'll bring us to the end of our time today here on Abounding Grace with our teacher and pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. Thank you for joining us today. It's our hope and prayer that we've been able to encourage you in Christ and stimulate your walk in him. To address questions, comments, prayer requests, or concerns, please call or write to us. We'd love to talk with you. 408-866-5607 is our phone number, 408 408- Eight six six five six zero seven. You're also welcome to visit our website. Drop us an email when you do, reformedheritage.org. Real simple, reformedheritage.org. A lot of information there about who we are. We would invite you again to stop by, reformedheritage.org. Or if you're writing to us, the address is PMB, post mailbox, 402, and the address is 1484 Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California, 95032. That address can be found on our website, reformedheritage.org, or again, simply call 408-866-5607. Copies of today's program are just $5. Mention today's date, and we'll get a CD out to you. And please remember that we are listener-supported, which means when you link arms with us financially, we're able to continue the ministry here on this station. It's a great way to study God's Word together, isn't it? And we'd love to continue to do so. Would you prayerfully consider how God might be leading you to partner with us? We'd love to hear from you. Again, won't you call 408-866-5607 or reformedheritage.org. Sunday services, by the way, if you'd like to join us, are 2 in the afternoon. We're located at Lone Hill Church, 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. Directions can be found at our website, reformedheritage.org. Again, Sunday services are at 2 p.m. Further information can be found again at reformedheritage.org or by calling 408-866-5607. Thank you for joining us. Until next time, God bless. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.